Come back in and find our seats, get settled. As we prepare ourselves for the worship of encountering the Word, um, seems there's an election this week. Anybody heard about this? I, I don't know if it's been on the news uh, at all, but there is an election coming up, and as someone who is somewhat of a political junkie in some ways, uh, it, it seems a bit contentious out there with things that are going on. So I want to bring us together in this place. And I want us to let go of those identities. You see, the kingdom of God is the place where we are united by one allegiance. And that is allegiance to Jesus and to his kingdom. That no matter what other identity we take on in the world, partisan-wise, sports team-wise, location-wise, geographical. Those are all laid down when we walk through the door here. And we take on that single identity of being the church of Jesus Christ, being followers of Jesus Christ. And as, even though I make fun of it a little bit, it's a serious thing. And people's emotions and people's um, attitudes have been seriously affected by what's going on in our country with that. And so I want to lead us through a prayer that allows us to focus on this identity as followers of Jesus as we prepare to hear this story, this text, and continue our worship. So pray with me. Gracious God, at times this all feels so overwhelming. We feel like we're being torn apart, forced to choose ever greater, lesser evils, and forced to fight even those we love. Forgive our faithlessness, forgive our disordered affections, forgive the fatigued striving of the flesh. Our hearts are full of fear, our minds are anxious, our burdens feel overwhelming. Have mercy on us and hold us in your love. Help us to surrender the things that were never ours to begin with. Temper our spirits with your gentle righteousness. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the true vine. We ask of our Creator God, the Son, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our breath of life. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to Grace Church. My name is John Ray. I am uh, the head of the teaching team here. I facilitate leading that and among other things. We're really glad you're here. We're really glad if you're watching on Facebook Live, whether you're listening to the podcast or you're here. I want to recognize some special visitors we have. We have the Discipleship Training School from YWAM Ozarks back here. You guys stand up. So, we have uh, 
students and staff from California, from Texas, from Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Switzerland here. So they've been camped out behind the building. Uh, they came in, rolled in Friday, and uh, you need to go back there and look at what they did. It was incredible. They, they once again, they knocked down all the brush and helped clear that area out there, and it looks magnificent. And they helped out yesterday on our workday. I want to give special attention to everybody who showed up. Uh, Pete and John Green coordinated a bunch. You notice we don't have a hole in the wall back there. Um, that's been repaired. And a whole lot of other stuff got done. Uh, Jennifer Stroud was awesome. And we got things clean that needed to be cleaned and worked on. And so um, big thank you to everybody who participated in that. In his stunning book, Prophetic Lament, Dr. Soon Chan Ra describes with deep insight how our culture worships the novel, the shiny, the popular. He marks the contrast with how real saints, how real people live out their days. He offers his own mother as an example. Soon after his family immigrated from Korea, her husband, his father, abandoned the family and left her to raise the children alone in a foreign country, a place where she didn't speak the language and had very little skill. He tells a story of how she worked three jobs continuously, and the only time she had off the only half day out of the week that she had off was Sunday morning. And yet those Sunday mornings, she was faithful to be at church serving. He notes how she would never be invited. She was not a person who would ever been invited to speak at a conference or submit an article to a glossy magazine or even lead a simple church service. She was one of the people in the background constantly serving unnoticed, honestly unappreciated, and yet faithful. What about us? What do we think of when we think of faithfulness, effective witness? Do we think we need a stage, a camera on us, something live streaming it onto the internet? Do we think we have to have the degree, the letters behind our names? Do we think we have to have those things to be faithful? Are we looking for accolades and mountaintops? Or are we looking to serve? This week, we dig into a story where none of those things, none of those stages or prestige, power or positions offer any benefit. In fact, they offer a severe hindrance. But let's dig in and see where we can find. Pray as we enter the text. God, open our eyes, our minds, our spirits. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts to love, wills to obey. As we look into this text that you have provided and inspired through your Holy Spirit, for your glory, for our edification, for the healing of the nations. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We're looking at this story in 2 Kings 5. It's 
It's a story that maybe we're familiar with. It doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but maybe one that you're familiar with. Naaman says, now Naaman, we're looking at 2 Kings 5, starting with verse 1. Now Naaman was a commander of the, Syria, of, of the king of Syria's army, was esteemed and respected by his master, for through him the Lord had given Syria military victories. Interesting to note here, it says the Lord had given him victories. Syria was the enemy of the people of Israel. They were in conflict with Israel. But this great warrior had a skin disease. Raiding parties went out from Syria and took captive from the land of Israel a young girl who became a servant to Naaman's wife. She told her mistress, if only my master were in the presence of the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his skin disease. Naaman went and told his master what the girl had said from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, go, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, it's interesting here, last week if you were here, we looked at the story of Solomon, the king, right? We all know King Solomon, power, prestige, everything about it. He is encountering God. He is speaking with God. He goes and speaks for God. This week, it's, it's a servant girl. It's a slave. No, we don't even know her name. And yet, in a very real way, she has an intimacy. She has a knowledge of God in the same way that Solomon did. Now, that may not shock us much in our culture, but don't let it slide by. This God who speaks to kings also speaks to slaves. This God who speaks to men with power and voice and agency is also speaking and relating to a woman with no agency, no voice, not even her freedom. She is a captive of war, subservient in every way to a foreign master. And yet God is using her in this situation. So Naaman gets his letter, it says, So Naaman went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten suits of clothes. He bought the letter to the king of Israel. It read, This is a letter of introduction for my servant Naaman, whom I have sent to be cured of his skin disease. Now, it's interesting, we don't get a name of the servant girl. We don't have her name. Yet we've got a detailed inventory of the money that Naaman was bringing to pay for his healing. And whenever we see specifics like that, we need to pay attention. Instead of it saying, Naaman took treasure to pay, it gives us a specific list of the things. And here, you have to understand that this is a, this is a substantial amount of money. This is not a small offering. This is not a token gift. The amount of money, the amount of wealth that Naaman is taking to exchange for his healing is substantial and it is of consequence. It also indicates to us 
that even with the highest sums, even with an extravagant sum, God is not willing to barter for his blessing. He gets there, Naaman gets there, and he finds that his money, we'll see, is no good. How often do we do this? How often do we encounter a situation where we try our best, we figure out we'll, we'll do all we can, and then we kind of get to the end of our rope, right? We've done all we can. I've tried everything. So now I'll go to God. So now I'll try this with God. But we don't go empty-handed. We think, okay, I'll, I have to take something in exchange, right? We've, it is cliche in our culture, the bargains we make in desperate times, God, if you just please let this thing happen, I promise, right? I won't ever do the bad thing again, or I'll give the, give the offering, I'll offer my sacrifice. It's natural. It's human nature to do that. That's the way the world works, right? Ain't no free lunch. You only get what you pay for. That message is drummed into us from the very earliest day. And yet the consistent biblical witness is that God doesn't want your money. Now, it's not that we don't give offering. It's just that his gifts are not bought. God is not bargained with in this way. This week in the Learning Guide, you'll see references um, both to Psalms 51, where it talks about God is not looking for our gifts, but a contrite heart. You'll read the story in Acts, where literally Simon the sorcerer tries to come up and purchase from Peter the ability to give people the Holy Spirit. And you'll see how God reacts, and it's not pretty. Like, that is not a good thing to do. I want to make a note here, too. Uh, Ryan Jackson is filling in with Feli. Feli's taking a brief leave of absence um, to continue to recuperate from the fall she had in January. And so Ryan Jackson stepped in to do our learning guide. So give it a look this week. He's done a fantastic job on the learning guide. And if you have any questions about that or things to do, Ryan is the guy to see now for the short time while Feli is out. But let's continue. So what's the king's response? What's Joram? Joram is the king here. He says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? Can I kill or restore life? Why does he ask me to cure a man of a skin disease? <laughs> he doesn't even read the letter, I guess, because he thinks that he wants him to heal him. Certainly you must see that he is looking for an excuse to fight me. Now let's stop for a minute. Who is his king? I said it's Joram. If you look just a few pages back, 2 Kings 3, you'll see that Joram was, Abraham, was Ahab and Jezebel's son. It said he tore down the stone images his father had made to honor Baal, but he disobeyed the Lord by doing wrong. He wasn't as sinful as his parents, which is a pretty low bar, right? I mean, if you can say, hey, look, at least I'm not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel, I still wouldn't trust my kids with you. Like, but Joram was, I mean, he was less bad kind of by default 
just because his parents have been so terribly awful. And he receives this mission not as an invitation to seek the good of another, not as an invitation to make peace or to establish some sort of bridge, but as a threat. It's a trick. It has to be a ruse. It has to be a setup. It has to be a trick. And you see the heart of those in power, even the opportunity to do good, is received as a threat. Does it sound familiar to our current political situation? Even the invitation to work together, even the invitation to find common ground is perceived as threatening with that. Well, Elisha must have had somebody that he knows there in the temple courts because it says, when Elisha, the prophet, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why do you tear your clothes? Send it to me so he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood in the doorway of Elisha's house. Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger who told him, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan. Your skin will be restored and you'll be healed. Simple enough. Naaman went away angry. He said, look, I thought for sure he would come out, stand there, invoke the name of the Lord. Wave some smoke over me or something. That's not in there. That's just mine. Um, Wave his hand over the area and cure the skin disease. The rivers of Damascus, Damascus, the Abana and the Parfar are better than any of the waters in Israel, could I not wash in them and be healed? So he turned away and went away angry. And why is he so angry? It's really not that hard to figure out here. Look, the Jordan, I know some of you, Terry's been there, Ryan was just there recently, the Jordan River. It's not that impressive. Sorry, Jordan, about your namesake back there. But in various places, it's, it's, it's a trickle, it's muddy, especially now it's over-commercialized. They, they literally charge you to be baptized, like in the Jordan River at places. Um, and compared to the, to the mighty rivers that Naaman is comparing it to, it's kind of like, hey, I want to go have you wash in Mud Creek rather than Buffalo River. I mean, yuck, Right? So, so we get that, I understand, but I think it also takes Naaman, catches him off guard because it's so unusual a request. I mean, look, there's all kinds of healers in this culture. There's all types of magic that gets done, laying on of hands, and like I said, blowing of smoke and offering, making strange offer, offerings, going on pilgrimages, going on fast, doing these things. This is just a simple somewhat arbitrary command. And it doesn't sit well with Naaman. In some ways, those same things don't sit well with us, do they? Like, we want the grandiose thing. We want the epic quest. We want God to give us the big, shining, hard task. Instead, he says, you know what? Do this little thing. Stay here, be do this thing. And it offends us, just like it offended Naaman. But his servants, 
his servants, they were, they were tuned in, and they said, they approached him and they said to him, Oh, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some difficult task, you would have been willing to do it, right? I mean, Naaman wants to be healed. Look, he brought down a king's ransom. He came into enemy territory. He submitted himself to an enemy king. That's how bad he wants to be healed. He's taking advice from his wife's slave girl. I mean, that's desperate. Naaman's ready to do whatever until it doesn't fit his paradigm. It doesn't play to his pride, his sense of place. So the servants say, look, if they had told you to do some difficult thing, you would have been willing to do it. It seems you should be happy. But he said, simply, wash and you'll be healed. Well, the, the method doesn't make sense. It rarely does. We want healing on our terms, in our own timing, in a way that, that we can understand so that we can control it. Right? Give me the process. Give me the formula. We talk about it at Grace Church all the time. Hear it. Understand it. And then obey it. Maybe. Is the way that we work. While God is continually saying, listen. Do it. And then you'll understand. Maybe. Naaman's learning that lesson. The last thing is the delivery, the way that it comes that offends Naaman. It's what he's told, it's what he's told to do, and then it's how he's told. I don't know if I'm the only one, but sometimes, you know, when I go to the doctor and I'm sick or I've got something, man, I'm convinced this is unique. Like, this is a sickness that this doctor really needs to pay attention to. Like, this is something that needs to be seen. And you go in the office and you sit down in the PA, the nurse takes your blood pressure, looks at your tongue, and then pretty soon she just walks in with a prescription and says, you're done. Like, doctor doesn't even look at you. It's so common what you have. It's so obvious what needs to be done. But you're like, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 wait. Does he, has he seen me? Does he realize my, my symptoms? Is he not aware that that this may be something special, this may be unique. I remember when Hope was a little girl, one of our first trips over the former Soviet Union, and she had got impetigo. We were new parents, we didn't know what this was, but it's scary, you know, it was on her face. And those of you parents who've dealt with impetigo, you know, like it looks, it's not bad, it just looks bad. And it's very contagious. <laughs> So it's a similar thing, like we take our daughter into this Russian doctor, and in, and in Russia they wear chef hats. I don't know why they do this, but, but the doctors wear chef hats, these big white, look like they're going to cook your kid up, it's really strange. And, uh, and she comes, and it's the same thing, she comes in, she takes one look, she starts writing stuff down, she just hands this thing, we're like, well, first of all, we couldn't understand language, but it was like, wait, does she really know? Well, she knew, she had seen it a thousand times, it wasn't anything unique. Naaman, I think he wants, he wants to be in control, he wants to be recognized, he wants to be 
you know, to know that, hey, my, you know, this is special. Elisha's like, look, just, he tells his sermon, just go tell him to wash in the Jordan, he'll be fine. We all want that, not just in situations like this where we're struggling, but I think we all want that special attention. We all want that special word. Right? Next week, we're going to look at one of the most basic commands of Christianity. Emily Lynn is going to come in from Canopy. She's going to share her journey a little bit. One of these basic commands, it's one of these irrefutable things like, hey, if you're a Christian, here's the deal. You do this thing. And yet so often I find myself waiting for that personal instruction, for that personal attention before I'll act on it. And y'all, it's there. I'm asked a lot as, as a teacher and when I teach in YWAM in various places and doing spiritual direction, you know, the, the concept of, well, what's God's will for my life? People are searching. What's God's will for my life? How do I know what's next? How do I know what to do? And uh, I find that I regularly offend people when I, when I tell them it's just not that hard. 95%, 95%, and that's being generous, it's probably closer to 99%, but 95% of what we're supposed to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is pretty black and white. I mean, it's there. But we're, we're waiting. We're waiting until we get our special invitation, until we get our special owl that comes, you know, drops down our chimney and invites us to not kill. <laughs> Don't covet. <laughs> Quit lusting, right? It's like we feel like we need this special thing. Y'all, it's there. Come on. 95% of it is there. But this offends Naaman, but he does it. That's the thing, right? He does it, <laughs> and I love this because it doesn't say like he, he, he understood it while he was doing it. You got to imagine he was just grudgingly like, <laughs> donkey, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, got to get a cap on that thing. Um, but he comes out clean. This is what it says. So he went down and he dipped in the Jordan seven times as the prophet had instructed. His skin became smooth as a young child's, and he was healed. He and his entire entourage returned to the prophet. Naaman came and stood before him, very different. And he said, for sure I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now please accept a gift from your servant. Nathan hears, and however grudgingly, he does it, but he does it, he obeys. And then he gets the revelation. The obedience precedes the revelation. The obedience precedes the understanding. We want it the other way because we want to be able to control it. We want to understand it first, then obey. The other way around. Look, this is, this is a fascinating story. 
And again, look in the learning guide. You'll, you'll read about the history of what's going on. The kingdom of Israel is divided between north and south. They're being attacked by the Syrians. That brief shining period of David and Solomon's rule is over. From now on, Israel is going to constantly be in conflict with itself, tearing itself apart and being oppressed by outside enemies. And yet God is still working. I mean, who are the saints in this story? Who are the ones who are responding and being used by the covenant? Who are the people with the true power? And what does this say to us during this time in our country? That in this story, God is giving victory to the enemies, the people of God. That God is bestowing power on slaves in different countries, servants, that God's instruction doesn't become super special or anything. It stays the course. Just go obey. See the blessing of God with that. See, God rejects blessings being bought. God refuses to give in to the warring divisions of kingdoms and empires and choose sides. God doesn't do that. God uses reluctant prophets slave girls and servants to demonstrate God's covenant and character, power and presence and provision. This week in the church calendar, All Saints Day and All Souls Day is celebrated. And it's appropriate, I think, that we recognize and remember Susan Pemberton during this time. We got word early in the week that Susan passed away suddenly. Now that may, you may not know that name, and that's okay. But Susan's been part of this church for years. She would come back, diminutive woman with silver hair who would sit towards the back. She'd usually come in late, often leave early. Susan struggled. She had a lot. She had a lot she struggled with. We as a church struggled with knowing how to help her, how to include her into this family, how best to facilitate healing and wholeness. She could have given up a hundred times. She could have quit coming. She really didn't fit in here. But she came. These flowers today are memorials. She was scheduled to serve communion today. You'll see her name on the sign-up sheet to help clean up after the chili cook-off today. We'll have her memorial service here on the 14th. I dare say if anybody asked who are the saints, who are the, who are the people who are really getting things done at Grace Church, Susan wouldn't have made the list. Nobody would have immediately thought of her in that. 
that, friends, she might be one of the most faithful people I've ever known with what she struggled with. It must have seemed ridiculous to her at times to be asked to keep coming back, keep just showing up. Don't quit. But she didn't. And uh, she will be missed. And I wonder what it's going to be like after all this is unveiled and we are all known and know each other as we are truly known by God. What beauty her story will show us. Before we transition to communion and our giving, um, pray with me, would you, for Susan. On this day, Lord, we pray for Susan and for her children and her family and for all those who have died, our loved ones and also those people around the world who we never met through the mercy of God, that they will rest in peace. And we pray for their joyful reunion with you, their loving creator. Amen. I ask Lucian, the worship team, if y'all will come up. We're going to transition now to communion, to giving, to our reflection, and to our worship. Our communion table is open to everyone. Why do we do this every week? Because we proclaim the mystery of Christ come, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ coming again. God has forgiven us all. He has invited every one of us, every single one of us, regardless of our talent, our treasure, our position, our power, to share at this table equally. All are welcome who are seeking to follow Jesus. There is no prerequisite. It cannot be bought. It cannot be bargained for. It is a gift. Why do we do the offering during this time? Because we recognize that we are all connected. Each one of us here has something to give, and no one here is without need. So we share. We reflect because we believe there's a spirit teaching us through the word, not persuasive speech. So we need to consider what is said here in our groups and in our discussions by the Holy Spirit and not just assume that it is true because I said it and I have a microphone. And we worship to confess with our mouths and our spirits what is true and to let these truths shape our hearts and minds and spirits. We need to sing His praise. As you take communion today and you see the flowers, We as Christians believe in life eternal. We don't believe that it ends with our physical death, but that life continues. 
So I don't know how it works, y'all. I, I don't. I, I don't know how it works. But I know that Susan is still part of us. As are all the saints who have gone before us. And we're part of them. This table is for us. It connects us with Jesus. It connects us with one another. But it also connects us with the church eternal. As we think of all the saints and all the souls who have passed, think how large this table is. How expansive are the gifts of God. How effective are they? Not just for satisfying hunger temporarily, but for satisfying us eternally. So take these gifts today in that knowledge. And thank you for being here. Because 
you 
out with um, this anthem song, Forever Rain. Thank you. 
God. Before Jane comes up to do the benediction, I wanted to tell you guys, you may have seen the pie and chili in the back room. Well, get ready to eat. (laughs) Uh, We are going to dismiss. We need people to help bring tables out and put chairs around them. And then we're going to vote on our favorite chili and pie back there. So what you're going to do is before you get your cups to take your samples and stuff, you're going to get two dot sticker dots and you're going to vote for your favorite pie, your favorite chili. And each chili and pie has a sheet where you can put your vote. So... With that said, if you have questions, come up and get get me and I'll help you. Uh, Jane's here to do the benediction. Or, not Jane, Danny. Yes, that's what I said all along. Yeah, Yeah, I'm taking Jane's place. Um, Grace Church, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, each of whom lived a life of faith in God. So let us lay aside every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. And may the peace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be among us and within us as we go. Amen. And I'm just going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for chili. Thank you so much for community. And thanks for pie. Um, Thanks for this wonderful weather. In your name, amen.